This is the ActiveX Back Show from Edinburgh, Scotland's vibrant capital. Hosted by award-winning registered osteopath, author and all-round pain guru, Gavin Routledge. If you want relief or prevention of lower back pain or sciatica, and you want to be healthier, keep listening. The following programme should not be taken as medical advice, but for informational purposes only. Hey ActiveXer, I am very excited to bring you this special episode of the ActiveX Backs podcast. Now this is also published on our YouTube channel, I'll put a link in the notes. This is a recording of a video consultation, an online consultation I had with one of my clients, Sandy Fennick. Thank you very much Sandy for agreeing to have this published. Now. Prior to the assessment or prior to the consultation, Sandy engaged with our bot and he had a free assessment which told him that he has a subacute, or rather flexion intolerant subacute lumbago and flexion intolerant subacute sciatica. If you would like to get your free assessment, just go to backpainandsciatica.com and do the free assessment. Not only will you get that functional uh, assessment rather than the diagnosis, we're much keener on assessments rather than diagnoses here. And you'll see when you get that free assessment, you'll see exactly why. Not only do you get the free assessment, it gives you an understanding of your problem and how to relieve it and prevent it in the long term. So whether you are a potential client or you're a physical therapist or exercise coach that wants to see how we work at ActiveX Backs, I hope you enjoy and get a lot out of this episode. I'll be seeing Sandy again in a couple of weeks time and probably publish the follow-up to that. So if you want to see how Sandy is progressing from fortnight onwards, then look out for that episode too. Okay, without further ado, here comes Sandy. Hi Sandy, hello. Yeah, very good. Good to see you again. It's been a few years since I saw you last. So let's start by saying thanks for filling in that online form. Obviously, I've got a fair bit of information from you up front, but the way this always works best is if you tell me the story, what has been going on, and uh, yeah, what kind of pains have you got now? Since since I last saw you, like um, I've had a, a few sort of twinges and twangs and that, but. It's been bearable, you know. Roughly the start of December, I felt something in my right leg um, wasn't quite right. It was sort of an aching, and like, and then about mid-December, I, I basically stumbled over an uneven pavement. I felt something like flying um, over my hip, and after that, like, uh, yeah, yeah, pain. It seemed, it seemed to come from quite a few areas. Uh, it was like um, the hip, just in, in the groin muscle here and in the shin and the ankle. But then developed over the next um, few days and what I found was I had numbness on the shin, numbness along the head and I had pain all the time. It ranged from being about on a scale of 10 about to right up to 8 or 9. The 9 was mm-hmm. about I was um, sitting down for 5-10 minutes I had to like, stand up and sort of like uh, walk about to try and like um, breathe a bit. Walking uh, was okay, but what, what I found was like a, I used to go cycling and stuff, and like um, I, I couldn't cycle. It was just too painful. Sleep, not too bad. Like I found that the, the line on my front, it ate, but it, it didn't sort of like uh, a sharp pain. But the, on my back, on my side, it was a stabbing pain. 
saw my GP and uh, he prescribed, it was a phone consultation. Eventually I called him back and he agreed to see me for five minutes where you come up to lie on the couch and bend my knees up to my chin, lift the leg up, mm-hmm. and um, then just ask questions about uh, And that was it. He then changed the painkillers. I didn't feel they were working. And then he tried me on amitriptyline. Yeah. And um, to sort of deaden the uh, nerve signals, which, which worked to an extent mm-hmm. that I was working with. I was uh, I did try going out and, and walking and sort of uh, like, if, you, if you don't, it's going to get worse. So where I am just now is like I'm getting a quite a bit of pain on, on the uh, hip area and this shin is, is still very, very tight and I still can't feel sensations down here. Quite tight as well. And if I happen to like miss a step or bang the leg, um, then I feel then. That gives you a sharp pain still, does it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And when, so if you miss a step and you get that sharp pain, where is that? Um, it's the, the shin and the uh, upper muscle and the leg. So it's, it's, it's here and, and, and the shin. Okay. Okay. All right. Just making a few notes, Sandy, and we'll circle back in with some of that stuff. And so if, so pre-Christmas, was that when it was at its worst? Um, it was at its worst, sort of like, a, it was a, it was around about the 20th of December and I stumbled and like, um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that between then and recently, you know, like, uh, that, that was about six weeks, that last, um, six mm-hmm. weeks. Um, it is marginally better just now, uh, medication. Okay. And tell me, given how painful it's been, what, how have you been spending your time? So what, what does a day look like? Um, well, currently I'm like, um, at home. But I, I try and keep sort of active as, as far as possible. I, I try and get out and, um, and uh, go for a walk. I find if I sit down for a long period, like, I do get sort of like um, sharp sort of a pain yeah, yeah, leg. Um, yeah. So I... I and, and walk around and that, that seems to ease it. I'm conscious, Sandy, that you are sitting as you're talking to me. The length of time you've been sitting while we've been talking, is the pain building up? Um, I, can, I can start feeling it, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so feel free to stand up, move around. It would be a great irony if in consulting me we're actually making it more sore. Yeah, often when I consult with people, you know, kind of face-to-face in the same room. They walk around or they stand rather than sitting. So yeah, feel, feel free to do that. Okay. And is there a daily pattern? So how does it feel when you wake in the morning? Um, in the morning, I, I find once I sort of stand up, and I do feel that, um, that if, I, if I stand on, on, on this leg, like a, a, there's a, a, a sharp pain that, that, that starts in the ankle and uh, and, and up here, once, once I, I sort of walk around for a bit, that, that eases off. Um, yeah. Okay. And, and is the morning the most painful time, or does it depend on what you're doing through the day? I think it, it, it um, depends on, on what I'm doing. Um, just now, sort of like I'm, I, I am spending a, maybe an hour or so a day um, on the laptop, sort of like uh, in my sort of like. Uh, 
job searching. Again, I, I have to stand up and, uh, and just walk around a bit, uh, to try and leave it back and sit down again. I tried a white jog, and like, and what I found with that was that like um, when I was doing a quick, quick pace for this leg, it sort of buckled a bit. Yeah, and when you walk, are you aware of a weakness in that leg? Yes. Yeah. Is that lifting the foot up or is it pushing down on the ground? It's, it's pushing down. Right, okay. So if you had to stand on one foot and push yourself up on your toes, that would be a problem? That was one of the things I did with the... Um, Physiotherapist opened the phone. Yeah, it was an issue uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. All right. Do you mind just standing up now? Something we'll just check a couple of things. So, as you're standing, is there something around you you can grab a hold of if you lose your balance, or is there a chair you can drag across uh, so that you can use the chair back? Yeah, yeah. I, I love it when there's a cat in the background. At least it's not a screaming child. <laughs> So yeah, just if you need it, it's there. First thing is, if, if you're standing evenly on both feet, uh, yeah. the right leg is the problem, isn't it? It is, yes, I am, yeah. yeah. So with your left foot, can you pull your toes up towards you? So keep the foot on the ground, but just lift the toes up off the floor. Yeah. Easy enough to do? Yeah. Yeah. Now do the same thing on the right foot. Yeah. I can do it. It's past the ankle and then up to the right. Painful to do, but is there any weakness when you're trying to lift those toes up? No, thanks for not no. Okay, all right. So next one, all the weight on the left foot and go up on your toes. Yeah, and go up and down three or four times. Yeah, easy enough? Yeah. Okay, and now the right foot. Okay. I can do it, but there's a, a definite weakness in that one. Okay, so getting your heel up off the floor is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good enough. Next little test, maybe if you turn side on so your back's to that chair. Yeah, and then if you slide your left foot out in front of you a little bit with a straight leg, that's it. And now pull that toe up towards you, so lifting the toe off the floor. Any problems? No? Okay, so then swap round, slide the right foot out. And pull that toe up towards you. Any problems there? I can do that. Uh, there's still a kind of pain in, in the shin, but like uh, I can do it. Yeah. So does that movement seem to increase the pain in the shin? Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. We're not being too accurate with the kind of range of motion here, but it's what we would regard as a positive straight leg waist test. Okay, so you've obviously got a weakness in your ability to lift your heel up off the floor, and that is specific to a, a, a specific nerve. You've heard of the sciatic nerve. Yeah, yeah. So your sciatic nerve is actually a, it's a peripheral nerve. You can think of it like the Amazon River. It's a big nerve, but it has tributaries, much like the Amazon River, and those are called spinal nerve roots. And they come from lumbar 4, 5, S1, and S2, which is for sacral. And the nerve that specifically enables you to toe off, to push your heel up off the floor, comes from S1. 
So it is likely that you have an S1 nerve root impingement is a, is a kind of broad description. And the most likely explanation for that is a disc problem. And again, the most common one for an S1 nerve root problem is the L5-S1 disc. So in, in terms of assessing the cause of your pain, that's probably as close as we can come just via one of these virtual consultations. And knowing you of old, Sandy, from many years ago, I think that fits with what you had in the past as well. Yeah. Now, this is not a definitive diagnosis because, to some extent, diagnoses are not awfully helpful. And, of course, without examining you or possibly even sending you for an MRI, we can't be absolutely certain that's what's going on. Based on my experience and and the information available to us, comparing with all the evidence, that's the most likely cause of your pain. Yeah. You mentioned the doctor asked you, and I know our onboarding form and our bot asks all about problems with going to the toilet and all sorts of what we call red flag questions. And you answered no to all of those, which is great. Yeah. And the reason we ask those is that your S1 nerve root is close to a whole bunch of nerves that go to bowel and bladder as well. And so you can have irritation to those nerves as well as the irritation to your spinal nerves. Now, the doc probably said this, but it's worth reiterating is if if you do develop any problems with the most common one being the waterworks, difficulty starting or stopping when you pee or you think, particularly first thing in the morning, if you don't need to urinate first thing in the morning, and that's very unusual for you, then I would just call NHS uh, you know, 111. It's not an emergency, but you definitely want to get that investigated quickly okay. because you don't want your bladder distending. So what can happen is you just don't feel it that actually you've got full bladder and that's not healthy. So that would need to be dealt with uh, in A&E. So I've only seen it twice in 30 years of practice, so it's pretty rare, but it's definitely worth being aware of that. Um, On the plus side, you're a bit better than you were a few weeks ago, and I would certainly expect that because discs can heal, and so can the nerve, but the nerve takes time to settle. Once your nerve has been inflamed and irritated, it can take weeks, sometimes months, to settle back down. So as you say, when you catch your foot and you get this kind of sudden and shooting pain, that's not surprising just because the nerve is raw. It's just, it reacts. Uh, and that's what will cause your numbness, lack of sensation, bins and needles and pain. If we take that as a given, the question is, you know, how do you speed up the rate of healing? How do you stop this from getting worse again? And any other questions you want me to cover, Sandy? I know that you're keen for relief and prevention, but I would say initially, let's focus on the relief stage. And some of the advice I give you is relevant to long-term prevention as well, but we'll definitely circle back in future to very much focus on the preventative messages. For this session today, let's really focus on how, how can you get better quickly? Yeah, yeah, I just say it's all about being sort of it. Quite good backwise for years, but like I, so uh, this came as a quite a that happened because like um, I thought I, I, I was doing the right things, you know, like yeah, so like it, 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 it 
it just showed us sort of like um, you know that we sort of stumbled on the uneven pavement and must have like yeah this is an important point Sandy in terms of you know what's actually the background contributing factors to this so that the stumble clearly is the trigger that's obviously tipped you off the edge of the cliff of pain yeah. but you know how did you get to be on the edge in the first place because you ought to be able to have a wee trip and a stumble without developing a disc prolapse obviously we're in the middle of a global pandemic with the coronavirus how has life changed for you prior to this pain so the previous six months have lifestyle been different at all i was on furrow from the start uh, uh, from march march 23rd last year right through so it's so what, what were you doing practically that you wouldn't normally be doing when you were working when i was working like i spent equal equal times either sitting down in the office um on the computer or and also caterer so we, so we ran the, uh, the restaurants and coffee bars for standing life so I'd be out front on the counters, helping out, walking around, like um, in the storeroom, my kids, you know, doing stores, or like, you know, I was quite, I was um, either, I was sitting down uh, for an hour or so uh, on the computer, I was out walking about, like um, actually doing things, bending, stretching, so like uh, if I was in the furrow, um, obviously I, I'm not doing that, I'm out of walking around and perhaps doing more. Sedentary tasks, you know, like sitting down, or that's probably the major change. I think. Um, Were you still doing your, as it were, formal exercise at the same level? Yeah, when I was working, like I tended to go to the gym maybe three or four times a week. Like uh, I went slightly more, but I, I think that was counterbalanced by the fact that, like, uh, when I'm at home, I wasn't doing nearly as much sort of like constant activity. Mm. Okay, so in balance, you are almost certainly sitting more than you're used to. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Normally, I had a chair, the couch sometimes, but normally, I'd have a chair. Yeah, and if we use that chair that you're leaning on at the moment as an example, pull that into shot, and even though it's not uh, a turn it sideways. Yeah, and, and then sit on it and see if you can get in the kind of posture that you think you would normally be in on a chair. Yeah, yeah, this, I think. Okay, okay, that's enough of that, Sandy. Is that because you're working on a laptop and you're sitting on a chair? Yeah, so I'll be, I know I, 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 I should be sitting back away there, yeah, I know. Hmm. I'll be doing that. I'll be doing that. Okay, all right. Feel free to stand up or whatever is most. Yeah. Most comfortable, or least uncomfortable, maybe I should say. Yeah. All right. So, so I've got a hypothesis, Sandy, and I think this uh, this will apply to an awful lot of people who might might tune in and get value from this, Sandy. And and that is that it's the sitting that probably has pushed you closer and closer to that edge. When you sit, you put a sustained load on on everything. It's different to standing. It's different to walking around. Certainly the position you are sitting in there is what we call relative flexion. So your spine is kind of bent forwards. Now, we all ought to be able to do that without any great problem. But I suspect the problem for you has been in the significantly sudden transition that you're suddenly doing a lot more of it. So your back isn't conditioned to that. And so it fatigues 
and eventually the strain in essence is going to be felt on one of these tissues and for you if you think about your lumbar discs so the discs in between the vertebrae they're essentially fiber structures people often when they hear the term slip disc they think of this rubber thing that slips in and out of place but it's very much a misnomer actually the majority of the disc is a fiber structure in the center of all of those fibers is this kind of gelatinous material called nucleus pulposus. And what happens when you sit uh, is there's a compressive load on the disc. But if you imagine that's the back and that's the front, um, yeah. and you sit and bend forwards, oh, the camera's confusing me. So I said, that was the back. Yeah. Uh, if that's the back, they work out. Yeah, when you sit, that happens. You stretch the back of the disc. So you're opening up the back of the disc and stretching it. Now, as I say, you ought to be able to do that. But if you do it for prolonged periods and if you do it repeatedly and your back isn't used to that level of activity, that type of activity, then it will fatigue and you get these little micro tears in the fibrous part of the disc. And then eventually, if you are unlucky as you were and you get a sudden stretch on it, you get a bigger tear. And then some of the jelly squirts out through the defect and that's a prolapse disc. And in your case, that prolapse material, the jelly has impacted on your S1 nerve root and irritated it. And that's what causes your static pain. Now, so if we take that as a given, and as I say, that's a hypothesis, feel free to walk around, Sandy, and you know, kind of wave your hips from side to side and gently arch backwards, all that kind of stuff. So the key thing is to avoid stretching the back of your disc while it's trying to heal. Yeah, okay. Because it will heal, but that defect, that tear, needs to heal by the formation of scar tissue. And that takes time. The disc has no direct blood supply, so it's very slow to heal, much slower than a bone. If you break a bone, we take four to six weeks. Discs will take considerably longer because they don't have an arterial blood supply. So you need to give it time. And while that's happening, you need to try and avoid much stretching of the back of your disc. Now, in the long term, we definitely want to get you back to being able to move in all different directions, including bending forwards. But in the short term, it's best not to stretch it. And as I said, when you sit, especially the way you sit, you tend to stretch the back of the disc. And as such, you will be doing what I call picking the scalp, tearing that scar tissue before it has fully formed. And so you maintain this chronic inflammation in the spine or right. in, that, in that disc. And so long as it stays inflamed, your nerve is going to be irritated by that inflammation. And so you're just stuck in this continuing loop. Yeah. And remember, inflammation initially is your friend. It's the first stage of healing. You have to go through inflammation before you can start building scar tissue. But if you keep re-tearing the scar tissue, you'll keep re-inflaming it and you never really get anywhere can end up with this kind of chronic, long-lasting pain. There will have been a degree of healing occurred in your disc, but I'm concerned that it maybe could have been faster and could have been further along the road by now. 
So in order for that to happen, I think you very much in the short term need to minimize how much forward bending you do in your lower back. If you're going to sit, that you maintain the natural arch in the small of your back when you sit. Yeah. Yeah. And the easiest way to do that is to sit high up. So you sit with your hips higher than your knees. Now, after this session, I'll send you a report and I'll send you some links with video clips showing you how to do all of this stuff and some exercises that I think you'll find helpful for relief. But, yeah, so let's carry on where we were at. So it's very important that you don't bend your lower back forwards, particularly when you're sitting and standing. Yeah, okay. If you're on all fours where the spine is suspended and there's no great load on it, then you might get away with a little bit of forward bending of your lower back. But, yeah, we definitely need to avoid doing it with load on it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think also I was working in the office. They obviously had uh, giving us chairs which were designed ergonomically to uh, spare sort of like a slightly tilted but the rest underneath and the chair that, that can in and support your back. So like uh, mm. as it works, sort of like those chairs made you sit as you say. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, some of the links I'll send you to videos show you how to adapt a chair to get that support. Yeah. Using things like a rolled up towel in the small of your back. Certainly when I sit, Sandy, I don't actually don't use a back support. I just sit up nice and tall and hold myself up. But again, it's what you're used to. And if you're not used to that, your muscles will fatigue quite quickly. And so then they'll get a bit achy and sore. So if you're used to having support, then I suggest you get extra support from just rolling a towel up, tape it in as a roll, and you can shove that in the small of your back and that will maintain that natural arch. Okay. So the broad principle here is use it or lose it, but don't abuse it. And you've been quite good because I've known you for many years ago. So you've tried to stay active and that's good. You know, if it doesn't hurt to walk, then walk. Walking is usually good for disc prolapses or at least it doesn't aggravate them. So any movement that you can do that doesn't aggravate it is a good thing. But anything that you do that does seem to aggravate it, you are best to avoid. Like I said, you already told me right at the beginning that sitting sitting aggravated it. So either don't sit or sit with your hips higher than your knees, maintain the natural arch in the small of your back, and only do it for brief periods. Don't wait until your leg gets more uncomfortable before you get up, because by the time that happens, You've aggravated it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I've, I've got these little kuthi sayings: use it or lose it, but don't abuse it. That don't pick the scab. Uh, and another one is: if you want to get better, stop doing things that make it worse. Makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So that I think, in terms of relief, the most important thing is don't do things that make it worse. And I yeah. think you've identified that bending your lower back forwards is making it worse. So don't do that in the short term. Yeah. There's a bunch of what I call relieving exercises, and these are not stretches. People very frequently get hung up, and, and many resources will tell you how to stretch your back. But actually, especially with disc problems, stretching is pretty unhelpful. But you're better to move it. So when you're naturally doing that, just standing, swaying your hips from side to side, gently arching backwards, that can be helpful too. But it's really any movement that doesn't increase your pain. Yeah. Now, while I'm on that, however, 
When it comes to discs, particularly discs, there can be a delayed effect. So what you do today, you might well feel tomorrow morning. Okay, okay. Because the disc itself, uh, and the majority of us, particularly the perimeter of the disc where the tear will be, has no nerve supply. So you can irritate the disc, you can actually damage the disc and not feel anything at the time. It's only once the inflammation has built up and you're irritating the adjacent nerve that you get more sciatic pain. Right. Now, you obviously got instant pain when you tripped, so there's obviously a significant prolapse, presumably instantly at that moment. However, now that we're seven, eight weeks in, there is a good chance that you could be irritating the disc but not feel it at the time. So be aware of that. Even though something might feel okay, that doesn't mean it is. So you're really looking for patterns. You know, if I do a bit more, yeah, well, let's choose a really obvious one, a bit more bending in a day, how do you feel the next day? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think, that, yeah, that means the other days I was like, I was building a set of shelves for my son's room, which involves sort of like a lot of like him bending over okay at the time. And so I normally did that, like I got a trend, it's all fine. It wasn't until the the next day that, that like um, I tried to bend the angle, it was like, it was a, mm-hmm. a pain. Uh, so I see, I see what, what you're saying about sort of like um, what you do today is going to yeah, influence the next day. Yeah. Okay. So, Sandy, has that provided some useful insights up up to this point? Yeah. Yeah. No. Because no, to, to, to be to be on a GP, I mean, like obviously, busy man. There's a pandemic on, like, very many patients at all. Like, he did see me briefly, but like, he's sort of sat in the corner with his, his visor and his mask on, and that was it. Physiotherapies. Same thing, it's all done. Sort of like, she, 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 she was very nice, but she had me a, a list of, of stretches to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I, I did do two, I, I did once, and, like, and the pain was, uh, was really bad, so I stopped doing them. But it just like, sort of like what was going on, sort of like, um, this is like a, this is how things are now, and like for this foreseeable future. And yeah, I know it's been, it's been quite good for me, haven't it? I will, as I say, it'll be quite a an information-packed follow-up email to this session, Sandy, with a bunch of videos for you to follow along in terms of different exercises that I think will be helpful. How to sit, how to bend while preserving your spine in that kind of neutral alignment. And like I say, I can't stress enough the importance of this kind of use it or lose it, but don't abuse it. If there are things that you do and it will get more uncomfortable, either don't do them or cut down the length of time so you know that you can't stand still for more than a couple of minutes. So you know, don't do it. Sway your hips from side to side. Have a little lie down. There's absolutely in one of the uh, links I'll send you to the podcast I did about how much should I rest with sciatica. Trying to get that balance right is really important because when you yeah. do get it right, you'll rehabilitate much faster than if you get it wrong. You can yeah. be stuck for weeks, some people unfortunately months with this. So I would definitely like to see you again, probably in a week or two, once you've had a good go at following the advice I'm going to send you through. 
um, yeah. and we can do these sessions online. And uh, yeah, and in the interim, any worries or problems at all, just email me, and we can I can answer those queries. But I th- I'm sure you'll be you'll be absolutely fine in the long run. You're not as good as we would hope seven, eight weeks into this sort of thing, but I'm sure that's just because you've not really had the right information about what to do and what not to do. Yeah, I'm sure I should say like a, it's uh, not anyone's fault really. It, it's just like a, because it's just working under normal um, circumstances now. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we'll organise it off, off camera, as it were. We'll organise a follow-up session uh, and in the meantime, as I say, any words at all, just get in touch. Okay. Okay, ActiveXer. Now, if you are a potential client and having watched that episode with Sandy, it's very important to remember that the advice I've given is tailored to him. You can, of course, if you've done the free assessment and you've got essentially the same functional assessment as Sandy did. Remember, you can go to backpainsandsciatica.com to do that free assessment. If you've got the same assessment as Sandy, probably an awful lot of the advice I would give you would be the same. However, remember the caveat that comes with this show that you cannot take this as advice specific to you, but generally take it as information and not for medical advice purposes. Okay, I just have to put that at the end. Thanks again to Sandy for taking part and thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the ActiveX Backs show. If you'd like a free assessment to set you on track to relief and prevention, just go to backpainandsciatica.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please pass it along to your friends and colleagues. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at ActiveXPacks.